I've shared with many of you the role that my dad played in my own spiritual faith development over the years. Uh, my dad's a rather quiet person, and he has done a phenomenal job modeling for me and at times teaching to me what it means to follow Jesus. I can remember early on uh, getting my Golden Grams in the morning, eating before school at 6.45, running late, but looking over into the family room, seeing my dad on his knees, praying, opening his Bible, reading, without ever having to say, Dane, you ought to read your Bible, or Dane, it's a good thing to pray in the morning. He's, he's teaching me through his modeling. Now, I didn't become a Christian until I was 20 years old in college, but my dad's witness was huge when I was ready to give my life to Jesus because I knew who I could trust. I knew who I could listen to. I knew who was ready to share with me. So during my sophomore year in college, I'm going through a lot of challenges, academics, relationships, and sports as well. And I remember my dad writing me a little note. I think I've shared this. He, he's a pharmacist, so most of his notes were on prescription paper, and he would often just write Bible verses on them. Not a kind of an expounding of the verse. He'd just say, hey, Dane, here's a couple verses for help and strength. And then he would list them as if to say, here is medicine for your soul, my son. Hear these instructions. Put them to practice. Trust in them. And one of those scriptures one day, my sophomore year, was Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. I can still see my dad's script, his, his writing, and just kept that, hid that in my heart, put it to memory. What my dad did in those moments was a living illustration of what Solomon does for us in the Proverbs themselves. Time and time again, Solomon says, my son, hear my instructions. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8. Proverbs chapter 2, verse 1. My son, if you receive my words, then you will understand the fear of the Lord. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 1. My son, do not forget my teaching. The tenderness of a father towards his son, towards his daughter, this parental care, parental instruction. My dad did that for me. It's a living illustration of what we see in the Proverbs. This morning we begin a new series, a short one, two weeks in the book of Proverbs, called The Way of Wisdom. Walking in the Way of Wisdom. What we see in Proverbs chapter 3 we're going to unpack this proverb in two parts, verses 1 through 12 today, and then verses 13 through 35 next week. This proverb is a treasure trove of wisdom. It's a comprehensive call to wisdom in every category of life. And so this week, we're going to think through six categories, and then next week, we're going to think about the value, the preciousness of wisdom. And so let's turn in our Bibles to the book of Proverbs, chapter 3. In the Bibles we provided on your chairs, you can find Proverbs 3 on page 528. 
And if you're here today and you need a Bible, if you don't own a copy of the Bible, we would love to give you one in the foyer. There are Bibles on the shelves there. There are hard, hardback, black Bibles. You're welcome to take one of those. If you have a friend who needs a Bible, by all means, take one for him or her. Proverbs 3. This morning I'm going to read verses 1 through 12. And like I mentioned, next Sunday we'll, we'll unpack verses 13 through 35, considering the value of wisdom. Here the author, likely Solomon, writes, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart, so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. The central charge of this sermon is for God's people to walk in the way of wisdom. Walk in the way of wisdom. Proverbs 3 is a comprehensive call to pursue wisdom in every category of life. Now, the background to the book of Proverbs, some of this you might be familiar with, some of this might be new to you. The book of Proverbs is covenantal. What I mean by that? It is rooted in the Old Testament covenant. It's rooted in the book of the covenant, which is the book of Deuteronomy. It's personal applications of the way of wisdom versus the way of foolishness. That's what we see in the book of Deuteronomy. There are these sections of blessings for obedience and curses for rebellion. Over and over again, you see the blessings for obedience and the curses for rebellion. Almost two ways to live, two paths to take. What we see in Proverbs is, is the encouragement and the application to walk in the way of wisdom and to depart the way of folly that leads to destruction. So what we see in the Proverbs is just this elevation of the law of God as our source of wisdom and blessing and life. It seeks to personally apply the truths that we see in the book of the covenant, Deuteronomy. For example, Deuteronomy chapter 33, verses 44 and 47, as Moses is teaching God's people, they've wandered for 40 years. Now, finally, it's time to enter the promised land. And Moses, the consummate shepherd and pastor of a disobedient people, comes to them and says, take heart, all the words by which I am warning you today, that you may command them to your children, that they may be careful to do all the words of this law. For it is no empty word for you, but your very life. 
And by this word you shall live long in the land that you are going over to the Jordan to possess. Friends, God's word is our source of life. And obedience to God's word brings life, fullness of life, satisfaction, meaning, hope. This is no empty word for you, but your very life. That's what we read in the book of the covenant. And then Proverbs takes that truth and hammers it home into our hearts through pithy statement after pithy statement, through application after application, until it's down deep into our souls, the deep recesses of our beings. Now, as you read the book of the covenants in Deuteronomy and see it applied in the book of Proverbs, you should experience a tension. You should be unsettled inside. It's a right kind of tension. It's an appropriate unsettling. Because as you read and process these truths, you and I will be thinking, who is sufficient for these things? This is unattainable. How is this possible? And that's exactly what we are meant to hear and feel when we read the Proverbs and the book of Deuteronomy. This is critically important to embrace because it's how we are turned to Christ in the midst of our reading of the Old Testament. Because, friends, there is only one who perfectly obeys the law of the Lord. There is only one with an impeccable record. There is only one who's chosen the way of wisdom every single time. And it's not you and it's not me, it's Christ. He's the fulfillment of the Proverbs. Christ, in fact, is wisdom personified. And so we'll see that throughout. These very things that we're hearing, they're actually in, embedded in the character of Christ. Unattainable on our own, but made possible through our union with Christ by faith. So the structure of our, of our time here, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, is to see and unpack the categories, the applications of wisdom. There will be six of them. There are six charges or six calls to wisdom, and then the reason why, or the grounds for why to heed this wise saying. So six charges followed by the reason why to act wisely in that category. So first, number one, a call to remember. A call to remember. That's what we see first, verses 1 and 2. Solomon says, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Here, this word teaching literally is the word Torah. It's God's word given to his people, written down on stone tablets, kept in the Ark of the Covenant, to be treasured and kept and applied all the days of their lives. It's that word that brings life. My son, do not forget my teaching, my holy written word for you that brings life. Let your heart keep it, the heart, the central operating system, the emotional seat that governs your behavior, your motivations. It's the heart. Keep it close to your heart. Guard it. Remember, the danger of forgetting the word of the Lord. If you just do a word study of forgetting, 
or remembering in the Old Testament, it's a sobering finding. What happens when the people of God forget the word of God? Spiritual erosion happens. And it can be in one generation. That's the frightening reality. In one generation. The word of the Lord is not passed on to the next. And spiritual erosion is the result. It's frightening. The danger of forgetting. The danger of leaving God's good word by the wayside. The danger in our own households of not investing in the next generation. The danger in our own churches and not imparting to the next generation the word of the Lord. Spiritual erosion happens when we fail to remember, when we fail to pass on, when we fail to teach. The good news is a generational cycle of forgetting can be righted in the next generation. Think about your own family history. To what degree is their spiritual background? Is there faithfulness to the word of the Lord? Maybe you have multiple generations of faithfulness. Maybe you have multiple generations of unfaithfulness. But friend, let me encourage you today. One generation, it can be lost. One generation, it can be returned. And so maybe you're here today. Maybe you have a family, maybe you don't. I want to encourage you. If that's not been your, if faithfulness to the word has not been your history, today, this generation can be the change as you remember it, as you take hold of it, and as you impart it to the people around you, in your household, in your church. Yes, in one generation it can be forgotten. Oh, but friends, in one generation it can be remembered and restored. Why? Why remember the word of the Lord? Because remembering the word of the Lord brings blessing. Verse 2, for length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. The idea here is shalom. That's the word peace. It's wholeness of life. Broad, comprehensive wholeness in your life. We don't have an exact fitting word, comparable word, but the shalom word in Hebrew, it is all life wholeness. It's not literally you're going to live to be 90 plus if you remember the Lord. We've got to be careful with the Proverbs. We've got to be careful with how we treat the Old Testament. The Lord may see fit to give you literal long days, long life. But the idea here is shalom, peace, blessing, life with God. Let me read for you Deuteronomy 30 verses 19 through 20 that speaks of this whole life blessing. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, holding fast to him, for he is your life and your length of days, that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give them. You see, with that... The Lord is your life. The greatest blessing, the greatest shalom that we can know is life with God. Walking in relationship with God. That's what he's talking about here. As you remember the word of the Lord, you grow closer in relationship with the Lord, and that is shalom. That is the blessing above all blessings. So this call to remember. Number two, a call to loyalty. 
a call to loyalty. We see this in verses 3 and 4. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Hold them closest to your core, around your neck so they're not lost, written, engraved on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. This is a call to loyalty. But what kind of loyalty? Steadfast love and faithfulness are key words in the scripture that speak of the character of the Lord. That's how he describes himself. Exodus chapter 34, verse 6, the Lord passed before Moses and proclaims, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Over and over, Nehemiah chapter 9, Psalm 145, God is described as one who has steadfast love and faithfulness. It's a key characteristic. What does it mean? It means covenant loyalty. The Lord enters relationship with his people in the Old Testament through what's called a covenant, a binding agreement. God says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. He is always faithful, always loyal to his marriage vows with his people. Never will he forsake us. Never will he depart from us. Though we are often unfaithful, God is forever faithful. So this is a characteristic of God, but notice here it's being applied to us. Let that same steadfast love, that loyalty in the covenant, be a mark of your life, be a mark of your character. We're called to reciprocate God's covenant loyalty, to remain in relationship with him. And notice in the Old Testament, Israel's sin is often described metaphorically as adultery. They have departed from their marriage vows. They've departed from their faithful husband. They have gone after idols and worshiped them, given themselves to lesser things. The call here is to remain faithful to God amidst all of our own cultural idols because what was it that allured Israel away from the Lord? It was their, the cultural idols all around them, the neighbors, the things that they worshiped. They were tempted, prone to wander into those idolatries. And so were we. As you consider your own life, what are you allured to? What are you tempted to give your affections to that is not God? Solomon is saying, just remain loyal to the Lord. Walk in committed relationship with him. Beware the enticements of idolatry, material resources, pride, a reputation, what other people think about you, substances, food. The things that we're enticed by are legion. And Proverbs is just saying, remain loyal to the Lord. Let no lesser thing replace the Lord. Now again, the tension. We should be feeling the tension as we reflect on our own lives. Oh Lord, I am disloyal to you. This week I've given myself to lesser things. I've committed idolatry this week. This is the reality that we face as we read the scriptures, we read the Proverbs. But friends, the good news is that there is one who is perfect for us. This description of growing in favor in the sight of God and man, do you know who that was used to describe? 
Jesus as a boy. Luke chapter 2, verse 52, Jesus is growing. He's a young boy, the only boyhood account that we have of him. Luke 2, 52. Luke tells us Jesus increased in wisdom and stature over the years in favor with God and man. It's the same phrase that we have here in Proverbs chapter 3. Jesus perfectly fulfills one who walked in the favor of God and man. And it's only in our faith union with him that we actually have true favor and acceptance before God. So in the midst of the tension and our, the reality of our own idolatry, let it draw your heart to Jesus, who never was disloyal to the Lord, who always obeyed, who always walked the path of wisdom and righteousness. Our ultimate favor with the Heavenly Father comes through our faith union with Jesus, the perfect one. A call to remember, a call to loyalty. Number three, a call to trust. A call to trust. Verses 5 and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Trust. What is trust? We use it all the time, inviting people to trust in Jesus. What does that actually mean? Friends, it is total reliance upon the Lord. A committed confidence in the character of God. That's trust reliance as you rely upon the ground that you walk on. We exercise this all the time. As you sit down in your chair, you're exercising trust that the chair is going to hold you. If you've flown on an airplane, friends, you exercise trust in the pilot that takes you there. We exercise trust all the time. Looking to someone outside ourselves Trusting, relying, believing. That's what we're called to. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, all that you are, all that you have. Trust in him, rely upon him, lean into him. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Think of him first. Consider him first in your analysis of life. So, for example, maybe you're thinking about, I'd like to rent, or rent an apartment or buy a house. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Friends, a healthy thing to do is pray about where you live. Pray about your housing situation. And I've had this week conversations with folks in this congregation about what to do about housing. Our first response ought to be, Lord, where would you have me? You know my budget. Guide me as I look online at, at various options. If I'm to buy a home, Lord, is, is that a wise thing? I, I'm seeking you. I'm acknowledging you as my leader. Help me. Lead me. And let it move you to pray for your neighbors as well. Pray for the people that you will one day live by and share with and reflect Christ to. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Why? Because in the end, he will make straight your paths. Now, very careful. This is not he will make your way easy. He will make your way convenient it will be a cakewalk for you. That's not what, this is moral straightness. Like an arrow that is shot from the bow of the Lord going in the right direction. He will lead you in the morally right way. The straight way, not the crooked way. He's going to lead you in the straight way. When we trust in him and acknowledge him in all our ways, he'll lead you in the right way. The morally upright way. A call to remember, a 
call to loyalty, a call to trust. Number four, a call to humility. A call to humility. Verse seven, be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Turn from self-reliance. Being wise in your own eyes is to rely on yourself. Turn from self-reliance. Turn from trusting in your own human calculations. Be not wise in your own eyes. That's, that's the idea is being puffed up with pride, looking in a lofty way as if you were omniscient, as if you had the right view of everything. Don't be wise in your own eyes. You are limited in your sight. You are limited in your understanding. We face a great danger today, don't we? We are often far too impressed with our false sense of strength. with our tools, with our control or what we think we have control over. This is an invitation to be not wise in your own eyes. It's a call to humility, a call to acknowledge who has right oversight over everything, who has perfect vision. Turn from self-reliance. The antidote for self-reliance is the fear of the Lord. What is the fear of the Lord? It's all over Proverbs. It's not... You and I cowering in the corner, fearing a lightning bolt coming down upon us. No, the fear of the Lord is a holy, reverent trust in the Lord, knowing rightly who he is and who you are in relation to him. That is the fear of the Lord, a holy, reverent trust rooted in an accurate understanding of who you are and an accurate understanding of who God is. The antidote for self-reliance is a humble fear of the Lord. Why should we turn from self-reliance? Solomon says, verse 8, it will be healing to your flesh. There's a little ESV footnote down there. Do you know what that means? It will be healing to your navel. It'll be healing to your belly button. Your core, your gut. It will be healing and refreshing and encouraging to the very core of who you are. The deep recesses, your navel. Laura hates when I press on her belly button. It's like this tender place, okay? It's tender. It's the deep recesses of who you are. When we walk into humility and the, the right fear of the Lord, it's refreshing to the core, to the deep recesses of our guts, of our being. A call to remember, a call to loyalty, a call to trust, call to humility. Fifthly, a call to stewardship. A call to stewardship. Verse 9, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. This is going to get personal. The Proverbs speak of our resources and how we manage them. When I say stewardship, what, I, what I'm speaking about is management or oversight or caretaking of what ultimately belongs to the Lord. Friends, a right understanding of resources in this life is to acknowledge who it all belongs to. Psalm 24, verse 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Not the Lord, the earth is Dane's and every, I'm going to grab whatever I can. No, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, and he sees fit to entrust each one of us for a temporary time oversight or management or stewardship of, of some of those resources. And rest assured, we will give an account one day of how we took care of what ultimately belonged to God. 
So there's accountability here. And it's just an invitation to hold what you have loosely, faithfully, not grabbing with those white knuckles, which is what we're prone to do. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. First fruits. What does Solomon mean by that? When you're entrusted with resources from the Lord, give first, not later. Why? Because the Lord wants to know that our hearts trust in him. And when you give of the first fruits, you're saying, Lord, I'm trusting you with this initial harvest. There's no guarantee that more will come, but I believe, I trust in you that you will be my provider and that more will come. It's hard. How does this look in real time in our lives? Friends, don't wait to the end of the month to give or whenever it is you pay, you're paid, whatever your cycle is, press yourself to give sooner rather than giving later when you see what's left over. No, don't give leftovers. Give as an act of faith of the first fruits. And let me encourage you. I I know that it can be uncomfortable talking about money in the church, but the scripture speaks unashamedly about how we handle resources for it's a window into our heart. It's an x-ray diagnosis of what's going on in here, our money and our time, how we spend our time and how we spend our money. So we've got to talk about this. If you've never given, and when I say give, we're, we're called to primarily give to our local church, our local fellowship. That's where we are primarily called to give. That's how it's been throughout the, the centuries, 2,000 years of history, church history. We're primarily to give to the local fellowship that we're a part of. We're also called to give to good ministries and things like that, but we're primarily called to give into the local fellowship. And if you've never done that, just, just start small. Just, just start. You, you don't got to go crazy. Just, just start small. Test the Lord. Just trust him with your resources. Start small and let it grow your faith over time. He is faithful. The reason to honor the Lord with our resources, verse 10, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats bursting with wine. Brothers and sisters, this is covenant blessing language. Now, I know that this, this, this kind of verse is taken and it's spread across the world to promote the health, wealth, prosperity gospel that says, give to the Lord and he's going to make you rich. Just sow a seed of faith and he's going to bring an abundant harvest one day. No, that is not the gospel. This is covenant blessing language. This idea of barns being filled, wine bursting over, this is restored Eden. That which was lost at the fall, Genesis 3, is being restored. It's a part of the shalom. It's not just material. It is Eden restored. It is covenant blessing. And yes, there is a promise of provision here. God will provide for his people. Jehovah Jireh, my provider. He's not promising us earthly riches in this life. In fact, if you give faithfully, if you give regularly, if you give sacrificially, there will be times, friends, you have less money. That's the essence of sacrifice. We should feel it. We should feel the the tension in our purses at times. But overall, the trajectory of a person who gives faithfully, who honors the Lord with his riches, will experience a, a shalom. God will take care of them. He will provide for them. 
and you will have the whole life blessing of knowing what God does with your resources. Every December into January, when Laura and I kind of process our, our year giving and then get ready for a giving receipt, it's an interesting time because you know, we, we survey how we, how we use the resources that God entrusted us for that year. And, and it, is, it is a little bit hard because you try to give faithfully and you just begin to think, man, if I wasn't a Christian, I, I could have done quite a bit with what, what, what went to ministry. But then there's this right thought that says, oh, what the Lord has done with what we entrusted to him in ministry. It brings this whole life shalom blessing. Look what we have the, part, the, the privilege to partner in through our faithful giving. It brings satisfaction and encouragement and hope in what the Lord does as his people faithfully steward their resources. Our giving is a derived giving. We give because God has first given to us. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, Paul says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Paul grounds his teaching on financial giving in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 on the lavish giving of Jesus Christ to us. Because he's been open-handed to us, we're then empowered to be open-handed to others. So a call to remember, a call to loyalty, a call to trust, a call to humility, a call to stewardship, and number six, and finally, a call to correction. A call to correction. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Encapsulate this with be teachable. Receive correction. Why? Because a loving Father is behind it, and it is for our good. Be teachable. God's correction in our lives is evidence of God's care for us. I mentioned the role of my father. My, my parents, in some ways, were strict. And one of the ways that they were strict were in relationships. And by relationships, I mean dating relationships. And it infuriated me as a sophomore in high school when I couldn't go out on a date with a young girl that I wanted to go out on a date with. Infuriated me. 20 years later, I understand why, though I didn't then. I understand why. Because my mother had the wherewithal to know what that was going to lead to, and she put up a right barrier as a parent because she loved me. She cared about me to do the hard thing and to put boundaries up in the home. If, if you're a parent, consequence structures are healthy for your kids. They need to know where the boundaries are. There need to be consequences when crossing those boundaries. Consequent structures, correction is healthy and right. And just speak to husbands and wives who are parents, be unified because your kids will see the sliver, the crack in the structure. They'll, they'll see where you're not on the same page 
and they'll, they'll knife right through it. So, so be in unison, be like-minded, pray together, talk together. What are the boundaries? And then what are the consequences if the boundaries are crossed? This is the loving thing that parents ought to do for their kids. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline, his correction, or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as the father does for his son in whom he delights. A comprehensive call to walk in the wisdom of the Lord in multiple life categories. A call to remember, a call to loyalty, a call to trust, a call to humility, a call to stewardship, and a call to correction. How is this possible? Only through a viable relationship with Jesus Christ. Listen to this description of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. There shall come forth a sprout from the stump of Jesse. A branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Isaiah spoke of Jesus Christ, who would come from the severed stump of Jesse, the people of Judah, who went into exile and captivity. Yet along the line, the lineage of Judah, one would come, a sprout would be born in that lineage. His name would be Jesus Christ. He would be the Messiah, who would be wisdom personified. All of these things in Proverbs captured in Jesus. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord, all the things that the writer of Proverbs is inviting us to, Jesus fulfills all of it. And by faith in Christ, we have wisdom and righteousness all in Christ. So my encouragement to you is look to Christ as you feel the tension as you read the Proverbs. Look to Christ. He's fulfilled it, and by your faith relationship in him, he gives you power to walk in the way of wisdom. You see, Jesus Christ is the author of a new covenant, a covenant that God writes on our hearts. He gives us the power, the spirit to obey his words. Let me read these scriptures about the new covenant reality. Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 26 and 27. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey all my rules. Do you hear that? There is a new covenant that fulfills the old. And the promise of the new covenant that in Christ, who shed blood, establishes, inaugurates, and empowers the covenant forward in our lives. He gives us a heart to obey. He gives us power to walk in his statutes. It's not on your shoulders. It's on Christ who is in you as you trust in him daily, as you walk with him daily. I want to invite you to trust in the author of this new covenant, who's ratified the covenant by his shed blood and broken body. And this morning, we have an opportunity to remember and to celebrate that new covenant, that glorious Savior who ratified it through the Lord's Supper. In a moment, we'll partake of the, the bread and the cup. I'm going to pray and prepare us.
after I pray, if you've not had an opportunity to grab the bread and the cup, there are some in the lobby. I'll give you a moment to do that, and then I'll lead us in receiving the Lord's Supper. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace in our lives. Thank you for your word and the opportunity to open and to study it, to apply it. Lord, we confess as we come to your word and see the riches of it, on the one hand, we're overwhelmed, but on the other, we're encouraged. God, help us to mine it out faithfully. God, help us to, to search your wisdom, your truth, as we search treasure, for that is how valuable it is. Lord, help us to see Christ as the fulfillment of the Proverbs, as the source of wisdom, and to trust in him and to walk in a relationship with him on the path of wisdom. Lord, prepare us now as we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Thank you for your broken body, your shed blood on our behalf that gives us forgiveness and eternal life. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.